feel. Uh, so we're, uh, we're going through, uh, we, we just restarted a, a sermon series in Genesis, and uh, Charlie's bringing us back into the life of Abraham. We just finished a, a, a series on, the, um, on experiencing God through his Holy Spirit, and so I'm just going to sort of try to link them together a little bit, those two series, and, and um, uh, really focus in on what has God done uh, in, the, in the past in, in uh, revivals. We touched a little bit on revivals. Charlie was talking about the Great Awakening and stuff and, and uh, giving some of the principles of what's happened in the past. And I just want to go back and have a look at that a little bit, just sort of um, just, just go back and build our faith a little bit about, about those times in the past when God has done some really amazing things. And so uh, just first of all, the word revival is not really something that's in the Bible. Um, it, it means a lot of things to a lot of different people. Last night I was uh, driving my son home, visiting some friends, and we were listening to Credence Clearwater Revival in the car. That is not the same kind of revival, I don't think, when he was singing. Um, you know, revival means a whole bunch of things to a lot of different people. What, what I mean when I'm saying revival is a fast advancement of the, of the kingdom of God. And that we can bring, we can go right back into the Bible and have a look at what it says about the advancement of the kingdom of God, because that's what Jesus was all about, right? And, and, uh, and, we, and we can look into church history a little bit and see what happened in the past. So that's what I want to do this morning. So what I'm going to do is have a look at, at uh, the advancement of the kingdom of God in what Jesus said and what the Bible says uh, and what Jesus did and what the church did. I'll look at that real fast to give an idea. And then I want, to, I want to get into a couple stories of some of the great moves of God in the past. I want to look at two that maybe you don't even, you never even heard of. Uh, a lot of people haven't, but to me, strike me as some of the most important and most powerful moves that, that, that display the power of God. Um, and, that, and my goal is really to build up our faith because we always want to be looking for, God, what do you want to do here? I want the kingdom to advance in my life, through our church, in my family, and I want to see what God can do. And believe not just for the past, but look forward for the future. What does God want to do? Sound all right? So, um, we'll just pray. Lord, would you teach us your ways? You teach us your ways. It's like Moses used to pray, Lord. Show me your ways so I can walk with you, Lord. God, would you open our hearts up and, and breathe faith into us, Lord. Teach us, Lord. We love your kingdom. We love your ways. God, I just thank you for each person who's, who's got up uh, out of their bed and come here this morning, Lord. God, I thank you for all the teenagers and the kids who, uh, for whom that, that can be a real chore. Get out of bed on Sunday morning and come. Lord, I pray that you would bless them especially, God. God, we love you as a church this morning, God. We just pause and say, God, you're awesome. You're great. Thank you. Thank you for your grace in our lives. Would you, would you teach us again and, and make us, change us into your image? Amen. All right, so... I'm going to fly through a bunch of verses that kind of outline what I'm trying to say and just set it up first. What I'm trying to tell, what I'm trying to say is that the kingdom of God uh, is, when, it's, when Jesus called it a kingdom, what uh, he was referring to himself as the king, but what, what that means is it sounds political, right? And, what it, and when the kingdom of God advances, it's going to have to displace another kingdom. So Jesus saw himself at war all the time. And that's that warfare aspect to bring a blessing. 
stands out all over the Bible. There's a warfare to bring a blessing, warfare that brings a blessing. And, and you can see this, I'll, I'll just give, some, give some, uh, some thoughts throughout the Bible. First John 3, 8, you can follow along on the screen or, or uh, on your device. First John 3, 8, the Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to destroy. What? Destroy what? The works of the devil. Well, what are those works of the devil? John 10, 10 gives us a pretty good idea. The thief comes only to steal, kill, destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Um, in Romans 14, Paul tells us that the kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So if we bring this into Luke 11, Jesus uh, just a story where, he, where he, he, he gives us some insight into what's going on. He, he was driving out a demon. Luke uh, eleven fourteen. 14. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. And when the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke. And the crowd was amazed. Uh, I'm just going to, just for the sake of time, I'm going to jump ahead to verse 20. Because he gets into an argument with them. They're saying, you're doing this because you're, you're the prince of demons and... And uh, Jesus says, no, you don't score own goals and expect to win. And, and, uh, and Jesus, Jesus then, he says, um, but if I'm driving out demons by the finger of God, finger meaning that's all he really needs to use, right? He's, he's powerful, he's God. If I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. And Jesus is saying, well, so these people were bound by the devil? This guy couldn't speak. It was in, in, that, in that culture, one of the ways that, that the devil worked was through outright demonic control like this. And um, he, when, uh, when Jesus comes in, he says, look, I'm the stronger man. There's a strong man who's got this guy a captive, and I'm the stronger one. I come in, I kick out the devil, bring the plunder who is this precious person who is now free. You see the warfare to bring a blessing? Do you see that? Right? So that's, it. that's in Jesus. Um, his life, that, it, that, he, that, uh, that little parable that he's giving there about the strong man, it really is a summary of his ministry. He comes in, kick out the darkness, bring in the light. Uh, I think Cheryl is probably preaching on this passage next week or something like this uh, from Genesis 22. You can see it all the way back to Abraham when, when, uh, when God called Abraham and blessed him. And uh, this is just after the, the, uh, the sacrifice of his son and all that story. And uh, I'm not going to steal Cheryl's thunder more than that. But in Genesis 22, uh, 17 and 18, he says, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all the nations on the earth will be blessed. You see the link there. You see, the, you see this is like a, there's a warfare that is required in order to bring the blessing. And, um, and we can apply that as children of Abraham in the sense that, uh, as it teaches later on, uh, Paul teaches in the book of Hebrews, we, we are, well, in uh, Galatians, actually, we're, we are the children of Abraham if we, have, if we are saved by faith. So we can apply this directly to us. This is what is expected of us. It's a warfare to bring a blessing. Um, so that, when that happens on a large scale, 
That's what I mean by revival. The advancement of the kingdom that pushes out the darkness brings in the blessing of God. And uh, in Jesus' life and in, the, and in the early church, you can see it. So, so uh, Luke 4, Luke 4, uh, Jesus had just been in the desert. He was fasting for 40 days. He met the devil. I mean, this is like, he's um, uh, fasting and praying and tempted by the devil. The devil throws the very best that he can at him and tries to, tries to get him to bow the knee and, and to, to essentially to avoid the cross is what he's trying to do, right? He's trying to get him to get, uh, Jesus stood by the power of the word of God. Uh, and he comes out of the desert as the one who is stronger than the devil. He just beat him. Right? And, he, and he's, it, it says in there that he came out of the desert by the power of the Holy Spirit. Walks into a synagogue and they hand him a scroll. He's going to do, do the reading for the day. And he reads this passage that, that actually comes, it's, it was Isaiah 61. And he reads it. And what we, what we call this now, this passage, is the kingdom manifesto. In, in other words, this is now the kingdom of God here. What does it look like? Jesus reads it. Uh, Luke 4, 18, 19. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, set the oppressed free to, do, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he steps outside, slips away because they're all mad at him. And he starts kicking out demons, healing people, lifting up the poor. And that's the kingdom of God coming to them right there. Do you see again how there's an oppressor there's people who've got them captive, and Jesus comes in to you out to the devil, right? He's destroying the works of the devil and bringing in the blessing. We all needed this in order to get saved. Paul uses this kind of language in Colossians 1. He says, for he has delivered us from the power of darkness. Delivered. It was powerful movement of God. It was, a, it was a warfare. He's delivered us from the power of darkness. He's translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. And this kingdom manifesto was in Jesus' life and ministry. And then uh, that, that the spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's how he functioned. And then uh, in Acts 2, you see exactly the same thing happening over again, but with the whole church now. Jesus is, has died, risen, gone up to heaven, and now the Holy Spirit is sent on the church. Same thing. The spirit of the Lord is on them to do the same thing, to go to the ends of the earth to be a blessing. Sounds very much like, like the blessing on Abraham. To go to the ends of the earth and um, to, to plunder the goods of the enemy, to go uh, bring in the light of the gospel, to heal, deliver, and save. And that's what, that's what the book of Acts is all about, as they go do that by the power of God. Um, I just need to underline one thing, just because of how things can get taken sometimes. This, this beating the devil and that warfare thing, sometimes it gets weird in some circles. You know, I've been in a lot of different areas of the church, and sometimes people think that it's all about yelling your... your your prayers louder and throwing Bible verses at the devil or something like some cheap Bible man video. Do you guys all know the Bible man? Anybody raised on Bible man videos? You know, I rebuke you, Satan. He's got his little gun and cheap CGI. That's not what he's talking about. Uh, some of you know what I'm talking about, I know. You just didn't want to raise your hand, right? <laughs> Paige knows Bible man. Um, uh, not that that was bad, that's just not what spiritual warfare really is. Spiritual warfare comes down to, like Jesus, praying, obedience, bold obedience, bold faith, fasting, praying, going after God, believing, resisting temptation. That's, that's beating the devil. 
Doesn't sound quite as glorious, but it really is. So um, that happened in the Bible. Now let's look in history. You can see some, you see some times when the kingdom of God advanced powerfully like this in a way that really looks just like that. Um, and the reason I want to go back to some two stories in history um, is really to build our faith. Do you, do you all remember when um, John the Baptist, who had spent his entire life, even from before he was born, he knew about Jesus, right? When he met, uh, when Elizabeth met Mary, John leapt inside of uh, uh, Elizabeth's womb and you know from the beginning he knew that Jesus was the Messiah and then he gets thrown in jail and this is messing with his theology the Messiah is supposed to be victorious what's going on he's in jail under Herod for having rebuked Herod um, things are not going well this doesn't look right what's going on and then he sends his disciples out to go see Jesus who is doing his ministry and he says uh, are, are you really? Are you really the one, or is there somebody else after you? After spending his whole life proclaiming Jesus, right? And Jesus turns around and says, says to the disciples, and this this really struck me. He says to his disciples, "Go back and tell John what you saw." Why is that? What is Jesus doing? He's saying, "John, you just need some stories. You just need to hear how the Lord has worked." Folks, if God's been working in your life, if, something's, if God's really been doing something else, do us all a favor and tell us. Don't, share, don't keep it to yourself. Tell us what God's done in your life. We need those stories for our faith too, right? Can you hear me on that? Um, so, so I'm just going to talk about, uh, uh, first of all, the Moravian missionary movement under Count Zinzendorf. Now, how many people here recognize those names? A couple people here, most of you know. Okay, that's great. So um, there was this guy, Count Zinzendorf. He was born uh, with the name Nicholas Ludwig. I'd probably change my name too. Uh, Zinzendorf was, uh, the, he was a count, uh, and the area that he was the count of was Zinzendorf. He was born in 1700 in Dresden. It was called Saxony at the time, Germany. Uh, and he was, he was born into a family that was in the pietist movement. That was sort of the charismatics of the day. Uh, and and he, was, he was blessed with really a heart that, that loved God, right, from very young. Eight, eight years old, he was praying for revival. Fifteen years old, he was setting up in his school, he was setting up prayer groups. Um, when he was 20, uh, in the manner of all of the, uh, the nobility at the time, he, w he went around Europe before setting up his job. That's what they would do, the nobles. Um, they'd just travel, you know. For a lot of them, it was a time to sow their wild oats. For him, it was really, it was seeking, what does God have for my life? And he, and he arrives in this, in this museum in Dusseldorf, Germany, and he, uh, uh, he's standing in front of a painting. This painting was done, it was, it was, it's a picture of Jesus on the cross, and you can see the sweat, you see the tears, and he's looking straight at the, at the, at the viewer, the crown of thorns, and it's kind of a close-up. Uh, and at the bottom of it, the, the, author, the, uh, the painter had written, um, all this I have done for you, what will you do for me? And Zinzendorf was standing there, uh, stood there for several hours really, st staring at this painting as God met him. And he realized he wanted to dedicate the rest of his life to 
winning for the Lamb of God the reward of his sufferings. Um, and when he was 22, he bought some land. He had some money. He bought some land from his aunt. Just take a little bit of water. Um, he, he, uh, he saw that there was a need. This is on a mountain in, in Saxony. He, he saw that there was a need for uh, a place for refugees to come because Moravians, Moravia is a, was, a, it was a province of now, the now Czech Republic, if you can get that in your mind. Um, and there were, they were being chased around. There was a lot of religious persecution at the time. This is just at the tail end of the, the Counter-Reformation. Uh, these were Hussites, or they were uh, now Lutherans, actually following the, the teachings of Luther. That was not very popular among the, the Catholics in the area. So there was a lot of nasty religious persecution. I mean, not just, ha, 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 you're a Hussite. It was like burning at the stake. You know, pretty serious. You know, confiscating homes and stuff. It was nasty. So, so they uh, uh, they came. Uh, Zinzendorf opened up this land. He had he had a place for them to stay, and on this on this land he started getting Lutherans, Calvinists, Catholics, uh, all together. And and you expect, wow, this is a beautiful story. Revival isn't it awesome. God's gonna move. No, they hated each other. L literally, the Lutherans were praying that the Calvinists, God would destroy the Calvinists. And they were also, they also believed that uh, uh, the Catholics were the great Babylon. So, you know, of course, that's the devil. And um, they, th these people did not get along. They did not get, they hated each other. They fought like cats and dogs uh, and felt that God was on their side and literally praying for the destruction of the other. Like, they, these were not friends. And, and, you know, he's like, Guys, I just opened up my land to you. Please be nice. And he actually quit his job as a lawyer in town, went back on the land, went door to door, trying to sort out the relationship problems. And Nita's nodding at me because she's done that. She spent her many years as a pastor, and she knows what that's like. And and you're, you're um, he he got them to sign this little piece of paper that says, "Okay, I'll behave nicely." And he got them, he, he told them, and also you're going to come have a small group where you're going to pray for each other and you're going to confess your sins to each other. Well, I don't want to. Well, you're on my land. So they had to. That was, that was in May 1727. In August or July uh, of the same year, it started working in the sense that they, some of the people actually started in okay, we'll come and enjoy the prayer time, the worship time. All right, so it's not that bad, okay. And August 5th, uh, 1727, there was a meeting where there was, uh, there was about a dozen of them together. They prayed all night. The power of God was there. The problem is not fixed, but God is starting to show up. On the 13th of August, and you can look this up, it's all over on the internet. You can look at moravian.org, I think it is. There's uh, there's it's well known this day, August 13th, 1727, was when just this baptism of fire came on, the, on the, this group of refugees that Zinzendorf had, had made a room for. Uh, it was a morning communion service. The power of God came in the room. There's just this glorious baptism of the presence of God. Um, and, you know, what does that mean? No, there were no tongues of fire. In fact, nobody even spoke in tongues. They didn't have that understanding yet. It was just the presence of God was so intense, so thick. It gave them a love for the word of God. It gave them a love for his presence in prayer and worship. And most of all, 
all of the fighting ended and God replaced it with a deep love for each other. They were crying over their sin of how they had been nasty to each other and it ended there. Just the power of God did it. Um, uh, that is what marked the movement of the Moravians. That, that, that love for each other. Uh, that sounds pretty good to me, right? That's not all that happened. There's, uh, what happened two weeks later was that they started doing this, uh, well, let's pray all day and all night. So they set up this, uh, this round-the-clock prayer thing. It was, I couldn't, I'm not sure if it was half-hour times or one hour. Maybe it varied. And they would sign up for it. And, and they had these little places in the woods where they'd set up a bunch of uh, stones. You can go see them. There's still pictures. Of the stones haven't moved, obviously. They're, they're little stones in a circle where they sit there and pray. Uh, and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and, you know, around the clock and then people would take over and it would go days turned into weeks, weeks turned into months. This went on without a break for 100 years. I'm not exaggerating. It was 100 years. They call it the 100-year prayer meeting. Again, you can look this up. Um, it went through both of the Great Awakenings and, and ended just before the, the end of the Second Great Awakening. Uh, Zinzendorf called the place the Herrenhut, which is a German word that, that just means the Lord's watch. The Lord, uh, I, he took this banner verse, uh, Isaiah 62, Isaiah 62, 6 and 7, that he, had, he used as the banner for, the, for this, uh, this prayer. I have placed watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. Some of you... Um, as I'm reading this, some of you may be feeling the Lord calling you. <laughs> Just be open to the Lord as he, as he touches you on this. I've placed watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest till, and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. I'm going to come back to this verse later on. This little revival started... Um, with God binding up the enemy that had oppressed them, that, that, that pride and anger and just hatred, God came in, powerfully bound that enemy up and released them to be, uh, and filled them by the Spirit of God. Uh, and it was just, it was a night and day change. Now, Richard Lovelace, he's this guy who wrote a, a book um, called Dynamics of Spiritual Life. And, and uh, a really good book, by the way. I was talking about it with Charlie. It's, it's, um, uh, Tim Keller, if that mean, name means anything to you, says that everybody should read this book. Um, he has this quote in there where he's describing the histories of religion, or histories of, of revival, and he says, he says this little quote, this is a gem. True spirituality is not superhuman religiosity. It's just simply true humanity, released from the bondage of sin and renewed by the Holy Spirit. I just, I just want to, Get that one to soak in. I'm going to read it again, okay? True spirituality is not superhuman religiosity. It's simply true humanity, released from the bondage of sin and renewed by the Holy Spirit. So this little group also became the, uh, the beginning of Protestant missions, missions as a, as a movement. Five years after they started their prayer meeting, this guy, Johann Dober, in, uh, in one of their group, this, he heals, hears God calling him to the West Indies, which is uh, Virgin Islands, St. Thomas, actually, is the island he felt called to, uh, to minister to the slaves there. 
And the interview went something like, so God's calling me to, um, uh, to the West Indies. I'm going to go to St. Thomas. Oh, what are you going to do there? I will live as a slave among the slaves. Well, they're not going to let you in there. Why? Because you're white. Okay, well, what can I do? Also, it would be a really hard life. He said, I don't care. I'm ready to die. He just want, he, he felt the love of God. He wanted to go serve and bless the slaves in, in, uh, in St. Thomas. And, and uh, he said, fine, they're not going to let me in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a carpenter, and I'll live right next to them. That's exactly what he did. He went there, uh, spent four years just serving the, the, the slaves, ministered to them. They were very skeptical at first, um, obviously. They, they, uh, then they opened up and realized, this guy is just here to bless us. And he had a couple converts, not much, and then some more Moravian missionaries took over. And before any other missions set foot on the place, they had 13,000 converts in, in uh, the West Indies. Uh, it's just a powerful move of God by doing nothing except showing the character of God. <laughs> I mean, it's just powerful, isn't it? Uh, that, that, was, that was the beginning of it. He went back and then he led others uh, to, to go out around the world. They literally took the planet. They, some of them went to Greenland to work with the, with the indigenous people there. Some of them went to leper colonies in South Africa. Now, if you're ministering to, to people in a leper colony at the time, they didn't have the medication we have, right? You're giving up your life. You know you're going to get it too. Like, this was some real dedication. It was, it was, this is powerful stuff. These, these guys had been just transformed by the power of God. And I'm not saying this to glorify the people. I spent five minutes talking about how they hated each other, praying that God would destroy them. I'm just saying, this is the power of God. They were freed up by the power of God to be who they were to be. Um, John Wesley met these guys. He was on a boat. Uh, and he was going, John Wesley, y'all know the name, he, he was kind of the, U, the UK version of Jonathan Edwards in the First Great Awakening, uh, and, uh, you know, he preached to thousands and thousands of people, this powerful man of God, but, bef but before that happened, he was, uh, he thought he was a pretty holy guy, him and his brother Charles, who, who writes a lot of the hymns, who wrote a lot of the hymns that we, we sing, um, uh, they, were, they were on a boat from the UK over to... Uh, Savannah, Georgia. Uh, I do declare. That was office reference. Um, and and they're, they're on their way over there. And of course, this, the high seas was a dangerous place. And um, uh, he, he thinks he's a pretty holy guy, right? Um, and by meeting the Moravians there, he started to realize that he had never put his faith in Jesus. Um, and how that, happened is, how that happened was that there was a storm. And I'll, I'm going to read from it because I can't say it as well as he did. So, so there's a big, terrible storm. And, and he says, uh, I had long before observed the great seriousness of their behavior. He's speaking of the Moravians. He called them the Germans. Uh, of their humility. They had a continual proof of their humility by performing these servile offices for the other passengers, which none of the English would undertake. For the... Uh, for which they desired and would receive no pay, saying it was good for their proud hearts. And their loving Savior had done much more for them. That's how they would, they would serve others and not take pay. Um, and, and every day had given them the occasion of showing them a meekness which no injury could move. If they were pushed, struck, or thrown down, they rose again and went on their way, but no complaint was found in their mouth. 
Here now was an opportunity of trying whether they were delivered from the spirit of fear as well as that of pride, anger, and revenge. In the midst of the psalm uh, wherewith their service began, the sea broke over, split the mainsail in pieces, covered the ship, and pounded and poured in between the decks as if the great deep had already swallowed us up. A great screaming began among the, the English. The Germans calmly sung on. I asked one of them afterwards, weren't you guys afraid? Uh, and he answered, I thank God, no. But were your women and children afraid? He said, no, our women and children aren't afraid to die either. So he gets to Savannah a month later because he's like, what is going on here? What? Screams worship. Scream. What is this? What have they got that I don't have? And, and he goes to, to Georgia and he says, at, um, he's, at our return the next day, we followed up our, our, we took up our lodging with the Germans, the Moravians. Uh, we now had an opportunity day by day of, of observing their whole behavior. For we were in one room with them from morning to night, uh, unless for the little time I spent in walking. They were always employed, always cheerful themselves, in good humor with another. They had to put away all anger, strife, wrath, bitterness, clamor, evil speaking. They walked worthy of the vocation wherewith they were called. And this, this dug on the heart of, of John Wesley. He's like, well, they, what, they, what they got, I, I, I don't got. And he realized it, and he spent some time speaking with them and, and, just, and just seeing the great love of God being poured through them. Uh, and, and, he realized, and there was this one of them, um, uh, Peter Beckler. He, he, said, he said to uh, um, John Wesley's brother, Charles, he said, if I had a thousand tongues... I would praise Jesus with all of them. John, Charles Wesley turned around and wrote that song, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. Um, it was just this deep worship and love for God that, and, and character that came out in these people. Um, so, so uh, and then within a couple months, uh, John Wesley uh, was in a meeting where, where he, he really gave his life to the Lord powerfully. And that's the, that's the, maybe you've heard the quote where he says, I felt my heart strangely warmed. Uh, it's a quote that you often hear what, when, uh, when you're talking about John Wesley. It was after a meeting where he realized that, that uh, he needed to give his life over to the Lord fully and, and trust in Jesus for his salvation. So, um, so that, was, that was the Moravians. Now, John Wesley continued after that, and he, and he really he powerfully uh, preached all over the UK and, and in the US as well during the, the, the First Great Awakening. And then there was a calm time uh, and, and then the Second Great Awakening came around, and John Wesley was still a major part of that. Uh, and John Wesley had something a little bit different about him in that he was really able to listen to the different groups, groups of Christians that were all over. And there was this one group, you've heard of them, you've, you've probably eaten their cereal, Quakers. Um, and they, they weren't very good theologians, but they knew their Bible. And they, they came up to John Wesley and said, slavery's wrong. Because this was at the height of the slave trade, right? This is, uh, this is late 1700s. And, and he was like, yeah, whoa, slave trade is wrong. And he started preaching against the slave trade along with preaching the gospel. And he became, he was quite influential. There were thousands and thousands and thousands of people who came to, to faith in the Second Great Awakening. I mean, it was, it was a massive move of God in UK, but also it was happening in, in um, 
the U.S., where Finney, uh, you probably know the name Charles Finney, in, in, in uh, upstate New York, say around Utica, as well as it touched down to New York, New York City, there were many, many thousands of people being saved around this time. Just the power of God being poured out in the U.K. Uh, and in New England. Uh, and God was making this a point, the slavery. And there was, around that time, there was a group of Christians who were really touched by this great awakening, living in London in an area called Clapham. Clapham, uh, if I say the word Clapham sect, does that mean anything to anybody here? Uh, this group, you probably know what they've done more than, than who they are, which is fantastic. Uh, they, they, uh, they're really, well, um, God moved in them in a powerful way so that, I mean, they, they, they spent like three hours a day in prayer just because they, they just love the presence of God. Uh, and these are very, very influential people. They were rich businessmen and women. Um, it, it was, this was, uh, there, there were politicians. And God started speaking to them about social reform and moral reform because England really needed it. And one of the things they did was they saw that there were a lot of poor kids who had no chance of getting out of poverty. And so what they did was Sunday morning, they started Sunday school. Now, the idea of Sunday school had been there before, but these, they funded it and, and worked with the people doing the, the Sunday school. And that's probably the main reason we, most churches have Sunday school. What it was originally, though, was just to help the poor kids out who needed education. Uh, they, they do, if you've read any Dickens, you may know a little bit about the debtor's prison that they had in the UK. If you, if you owed even 200 pounds at the time uh, and were not able to pay it, they could just throw you in jail uh, and, and tell you had paid it all, but how are you going to do that? You're in jail. And it was not just, it was not right, uh, but that's what they did. And so the, the Clapham sect came around and started just paying off the debts of the people who were in this prison. They took 14,000 people out of those prisons and taught them how to manage their money better. They, uh, they invented the SPCA because cruelty is bad. Uh, they, uh, they worked to improve the conditions of the poor. But there was one of their members, you may have heard his name, it's uh, William Wilberforce. Uh, he, was, he was sort of he was one of the central finger, figures. He wasn't their pastor, but he was a central figure in their, in their group. Uh, he was deeply moved by God to, uh, to get rid of slavery. He was very convicted that this was wrong, it must stop. Um, and in 1804, he tabled a bill in the, in the parliament in the UK to abolish the slave trade. It didn't pass right away, it took another three years. Uh, and he had this, this group of people still praying three hours a day, still moved mightily by God. There was a group uh, called the Society for the Abolition of Slavery uh, in their in their 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 group of believers, it was mostly uh, middle-aged white women who were, <clears throat> were in this group pushing for this. They're printing out tracts and they're educating the people. And keep in mind, this is a this is in the UK at that time. There were thousands of conversions. The the, the landscape was changing. Where people's con when you come to Jesus, your conscious your conscience is awoken. And they were starting to get letters from the government and there would be sacks and sacks of petitions saying, this has got to stop. We've got to stop doing this. In 1807, they passed the bill to abolish the slave trade. And it was, it was a move of God. It was just clearly a move of God. 1808, same thing happened in the U.S. 
uh, that was the following year. Uh, it happened in another, a, a number of other countries afterwards. And, it, and I'm just saying this because we know about the abolishment of the slave trade then. Do you, did you know that this was because of the power of God? What was he doing? Luke 4 came to set the captives free. Um, they weren't all freed at that time, though. It was the slave trade that was stopped, but they didn't free the slaves. Uh, and so this was a multi-step thing. It, it was, they kept on fighting and fighting and fighting. And in what uh, Richard Lovelace, refer, as a historian, he refers to as the high point of church history, of course, outside of the Bible, but the high point of church history was in 1833 when after years of fighting, years of letters, uh, years of preaching the gospel and the consciences uh, being awoken, they finally abolished slavery completely. They, they spent 20 million pounds of the, U, of the UK government money that they had, much of it that they had got illicitly by, by the, on the backs of the, of the slaves. Uh, he, 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 they bought the slaves out of slavery. Many of them they tried to repatriate to Africa if they wanted. Uh, it, was, it was one of the few According to Lovelace, one of the true, truly righteous moves by a government ever. It was to, to release them. It, this, is, this is political economic suicide. Uh, this, was in a, this was in a climate where it was told by everybody, all the economists, everybody agreed that this could never happen. It could not happen because the UK and the US depended so much on slavery. Uh, and yet God did it. Because why? Because the kingdom of God is there to set the captives free. Literally. Um, I understand it wasn't perfectly clean. There were things, that people acted on the light that they had. Um, John Newton, you probably know, know, his, know his song anyway. Uh, he was part of the Clapham sect. Uh, he, he's the guy who wrote Amazing Grace. Uh, he talks in that song about I once was lost, now I'm found. I was blind, but now I'm free. Or I was blind, but now I see. He, he, uh, he actually was a slave at one point. And, and then he, he got out. But then it's like they, they act according to the light that they had, right? He kept, on, he kept on actually driving a slave ship after his conversion because he didn't understand the problem yet. And then years later, God, God well... Uh, he got out of it for, he was in it for about five years, got out of it, and then he was like, what the heck am I doing? Uh, and, uh, and then he joined this abolitionist movement along with the, the Clapham sect. His life was radically turned around. That's when he wrote, when he says, I was blind, but now I see. Yeah, he was blind. Um, but, but God moved through them in such power that he actually freed up these thousands and thousands of slaves to the detriment of their economy. So, um, you can hear this and you can think, and I just want to bring this home now. Uh, you can hear this and you can think, wow, yeah, this is, I mean, it's amazing what they did. Uh, what can I do now? You know, what kind of big social things should I throw myself behind? And that's right. That's good. You want to do that? It's not the point of my sermon, though. Like John Wesley says, uh, this is probably his most famous quote, do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. That's a lot of cans. Uh, it's right to do that. Uh, it was right for Zinzendorf to buy a plot of land so that the, the refugees had a place to stay. And that's sort of what started it. 
but that's not where the power was. The power was the Lord. The power was the advancement of the kingdom of God. And that, my point this morning, is that's the thing we need. That thing. It's the advancement of the kingdom of God. So I want us to just go back. Uh, we're going we're gonna to head into uh, Q&A in a minute. But I just want to go back to that. Isaiah 61. This is... Uh, when we're praying, when we're asking God, Lord, would you do it again? Would you advance your kingdom? Um, this, is, this is my prayer now. As I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourself no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. Now, we can sub in, just this is the Old Testament, we can sub in the people of God, the church now. You can, it's fair to take this and say, until he establishes the church and makes her the praise of the earth. I just want to say something about that verse that says, you who call on the Lord... You who call on the Lord, the better translation of that Hebrew there is you who remind the Lord. And maybe if you're reading King James, it says you who are the Lord's remembrancers. It's really awkward, but it means people who are reminding the Lord of what has happened in the past, saying, would you do it again? That's my point. See, that, that's why I'm reading these, these, that's why I'm telling you these, these stories from church history. What God has done in the past, he's still God. He can do this again. He can, he can bring the... I don't know what it would look like. I don't know, but he does, and he can do it again. He can bring in thousands of people to know and love their God. He can free them from that anger and strife that was killing the... Uh, the I mean, doesn't, doesn't that sound awesome? What God did with the Moravians? Like, oh, I want that, man. Like, where they were, you know... Maybe you never experienced that in your life. I have, um, and, and God just flipped them around. I mean, this is awesome when God delivers somebody. He delivers somebody. It means something. It's real. And, and, and so that's what I'm saying. Let's go back to this. Let's pray, God, you've done it in the past. Just like it says in Isaiah 62, you've done it in the past. Would you do it again? Um, we've got these stories, but I want my own stories I want my own, is that, is that something in your heart too? Is God putting that in you too? I want my own stories of the power of God. So Lord Jesus, and we'll just ask for, need to come up and we'll have our little uh, Q&A. Lord, we just ask you, God. We ask you again, Lord, would you move in power and advance your kingdom, Lord? We just present this church to you as your own. Do what you want with us, Lord. Use us to fight off the enemy and bring in the, the kingdom of God, the righteousness and the peace and the joy of the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. So if you're here and you would uh, like to ask a question, just put up your hand. Somebody will come around with a microphone. If you are online, feel free to text, and uh, I've got my trusty phone. I will see your text and ask your question. Nah, forget the chairs. I'm too short. <laughs> see me climb on one of those things? Not pretty. <laughs> yep. I do have a question for you, though. Let's, let, let's start with that one. Um, 
sometimes, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes my heart goes a little cold and it's kind of like, do I really want to pray for that kind of a change in my life? It's going to cost me a whole lot. And how, like, you've been through this as well. How have you changed your heart so that you're more tender towards Jesus and to, to the people that God so lovingly created? Like, how, what do you say to yourself to get to yourself to the point where you can say, yes, Lord? I'd like to say that's really, I am always just tender and kind and gentle. But unfortunately, I've got my family sitting right here, so I've got to watch what I say. Um, they know me better than that. Uh, the, 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 this, but this desire and this tenderness uh, that, that makes me desire the kingdom of God, for one, it's something that just God does it. Right? it God, that, that, that comes from God. Number two, you, you need to foster it. Just like, like I said with um, uh, John the Baptist, what did he need? He needed some stories. Man, we need to read some stories. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of revival history. You might, you might have caught that from, uh, from um, my sermon this morning. But uh, reading what God has done in the past, sharing in the group here what has God done with it. Because there's some awesome stories in this. In, I mean, when you... When, Every time there's a baptism here, I actually, um, I actually went this week and I had taken a video of, of, uh, of a baptism from a few years ago that happened here and I was watching it this week because I, because I remembered uh, how God was speaking so powerfully through it. You, you, you've got to feed it, right? If you want it, that to grow, feed it. Just feed it. So feeding it... Great stories in the Old Testament of broken people trying to discover God, trying to um, just putting that one foot forward. Mm. Um, one of them is Rahab. She just put one foot forward and changed all of history. Sorry, Rahab. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's powerful. I mean, then and, mm -hmm. and you just you're looking through the you're looking through the histories of the genealogies and you see Rahab and you're going, oh my goodness, for one. For one, that it was a woman who was named. For two, it was her. She had kind of a shady background, and and because of her faith, God put her in there as as um, one of the ancestors of Jesus. I mean, just, just unbelievable. Um, just that obedience, stepping out in in faith, um, um, and you just never know what's going to happen. I don't think Zinzendorf had any idea that he was going to start a movement, a missionary movement, and a prayer meeting that was going to last 100 years. <laughs> when he bought that land, he just stepped out. Go ahead, Claudia. Thank you so much. I was just wondering as you were speaking about us wanting to have the desire to do these great works. But I, what ran through my mind was that everyone, every like the Moravian people, they put in some work. And the Bible says, faith without works is dead. Are we ready to put in the work? Because yes, we can pray and ask that God should um, give us the desire. But then, are we ready to put in three hours a day of our time, for instance? I'm thinking that it, it appears to me that, um, as, uh, as has been said, people are more, we are, we are holding back because of what we might lose. And um, until we are ready to give up those things that we hold dear, 
we might not really be able to accomplish that which we all desire. Yeah, and even that desire, that willingness to do it, that steadfast heart, even that, that's something you need to go back to God and say, look, I, it's not in me. Could you please put it in me? So a question came in. What word, what encouragement or word do you have for someone who wants what you're talking about but feels their limit with work, family life, etc.? Yeah, I, I, I think I know exactly what, you, what you're talking about. I've been there, I am there. Uh, li limited with, with I, I think we would, this, that might need more of a discussion though. Are you saying that you don't have time to to spend time with God during the day, or is it, or if it's, if it's, um, you want to give everything, leave everything, and 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 go, but you can't because you have a family you need to support. And and really, what I, what I would say is that you we we need to be faithful in those small things, keeping your your keeping your time with the Lord, learning how to pray without ceasing during the day, um, learning you know a love for God in the Word, and then just ask Him, God, lead. There's so much stuff that doesn't happen because we didn't ask God to do it. There's <laughs> just so much stuff that doesn't happen because we didn't bother asking God to do it. God, would you change this? Would you change this in my life so I have some time to seek time with, to spend time with you? God, would you change this thing, solve this problem for me so I don't have to waste my time and I want to go back and spend some time with you? Try that. <laughs> I would also say that it, um, it's really important that we do the hard work of taking care of our family. That's part of what God calls us to. So work is, is holy as well, um, not, not just prayer. We're about ready to close, and um, so I'm just going to pray. Sure. Father, we thank you that um, you call us. You're the one who starts this work in us. And Father, we pray that our hearts would be tender towards you, that our ears would be willing to listen to your voice of invitation, that it's in the small things that you call us. And it was just in, in that buying of that plot of land that all this started. Father, and you invite us to the small things. And so, Father, here we are. We want to hear from you. In Jesus' name.